In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Welcome back, everybody, to The Deal Board. And today, we have a very interesting podcast. We have some great guests and we're talking about distressed businesses. And we're going to talk about businesses that are selling. And eventually, they're not going to sell based on the value of their earnings. We talk about earnings all the time. We talk about recasting. We talk about multiples uh, that apply to those earnings and how they we value businesses. But sometimes businesses are either in trouble or they have a huge amount of assets that makes the value just different. And the key to selling them uh, comes into finding the right buyer. And the key to, for the buyer is that they, they're taking advantage of an opportunity to acquire assets at a lower price. Yeah. So I, you know, we have some good stories today. You, you interviewed people about their asset sales. Yeah. I mean, I think it's asset sales, turnarounds, whatever you want to call them. I, I think they're great opportunities, both for the sellers and the buyers. And and for the sellers, you know, if something hasn't worked out the way they hope they would, you know, everything has a value. And that value just depends on, you know, the right price. And like you said, finding the right buyer. And then for the buyers, I mean, if you look at some businesses, like we're going to talk about a gym today, it can, it can cost hundreds of thousands or even into a million dollars to build out a gym, buy all the equipment. And if you're, if you're a buyer looking to start a gym and you can do that for a fraction of the price and walk into an ongoing concern instead of waiting for six, nine, 12 months of a build out, it's just a huge opportunity for success. Yeah. And we've seen that in certainly in the restaurant business where people spend, you know, literally millions of dollars and the second uh, owner of the business gets all those build out and all the plumbing and all the electricity uh, for pennies on the dollar and all the equipment. And we've seen it in the salon and uh, spa businesses. We've certainly seen it in medical uh, offices where somebody builds out a huge medical practice and then, you know, the doctor leaves or something. So all these things can be had out there and it's a, certainly an opportunity for the buyers. Yeah, a, a great opportunity. And and it's an opportunity for the sellers to, yeah, they're not going to get exactly what they want for the sale price of the business, and but they're going to get something for the money that they put into those assets. And, and also, you know, be able to walk away from the business, you know, not have to have that worry and it hanging over their head and move on to whatever they want to do next. And perhaps get out of some serious liabilities. I mean, we see people that have signed leases and they've signed them personally and they're on the hook. I mean, and finding the right buyer that has the money to put into it. And sometimes it's not just, it's not a failing location or it's that it's, it's about the business owner, not having the, the skills necessary or not having the capital. How many times have we seen people not having the right capital to kick off a business? Yeah. I mean, capital and, and like you said, the expertise, not everyone's a business owner. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's a good thing, right? Because business owners provide a lot of jobs in the country, but you, you see it both ways. They'll run out of capital into three, six months into a venture, or they're not a business owner. Or one of the ones we're going to talk about today, um, you know, they had their eye off the ball. They thought they could run a business passively and and keep their full-time job and it just wasn't working out. So I think there's a lot of great opportunities. We've got some phenomenal stories. I know you have one great one that you interviewed that I think everyone should make a point to listen to on this podcast. 
yeah, Lori Caramel from We Take the Cake dot uh, com, and uh, I'll give Lori another plug. Just thank her for coming on. And if you ever need a, an amazing birthday or wedding cake uh, that's out of this world, uh, you know, look her up on the internet. But Lori's uh, an incredible entrepreneur that basically bought two asset sales from us, and she explains why she bought them, and then she talks about how she became one of Oprah's favorite things which is an incredible story. Incredible, incredible story. Great ending. So without further ado, let's jump into some interviews and hear from some entrepreneurs and brokers about their distressed acquisitions. Okay, let's get it done. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Okay, welcome back. We are with a very exciting person. I'm so happy to have her on the on the podcast today. Uh, her, her name is Lori Carmel. She's with We Take the Cake. Uh, she's an incredible entrepreneur. Uh, she bought a couple businesses from us, which uh, from Transworld, which she'll explain in a minute. And uh, she actually used them as an immigration tool as well, which she can explain as well. But she has a great story about how she built her business. She basically bought a very small business from us uh, and we take the cake in the beginning and then wound up growing it, not only through acquisition, but grew it through the amazing marketer she is. And so welcome, Lori. And why don't you give us a little bit of background of how this all started? Wow, that was quite the intro. Thank you, Andy. Um, So I moved from Canada with my uh, husband and my three-year-old son back in 2000. And um, at the time, we were here on a on a visa that only my husband could work. So um, I essentially had to buy a job for myself. So we started looking for a business that I could do while my son was, you know, in, in kindergarten. So I had some time on my hands. And while we were looking, we came across two businesses that I was deciding between. And um, one of them was We Take the Cake. It was a small, uh, very small uh, boutique type gourmet cake company. Very basic, very basic cakes made to order. Um, they charged $2 to write happy birthday on it. And that was the extent of the design. But then we saw a cookie company. Um, it was called Mrs. D's cookies. And at that time that business was suffering. So I was, I was deciding between the two and I decided to go with, we take the cake because since I had been in Florida, I'd been to so many children's birthday parties and I really didn't like the cakes here in Florida. I, I, <laughs> We've I was, talked about that. Yeah, I was so tired of having that grocery store cake at every single party. And I love cake. And if I'm not going to eat the cake, you know that there is a problem. So um, I thought, you know, th- this cake is really good. Like I went there and I, I went to We Take the Cake and I tasted the frosting when I was shopping around for my son's birthday cake. And I thought... Um, 
this is really good. I mean, there's no designs. I wanted I wanted some designs with it, something to go with his birthday theme. But I was willing to go for the taste and sacrifice the design. So I bought his birthday cake. And then when we were looking for uh, the business to buy, the, our broker said, hey, there's this little mail order business maybe you'd be interested in. And I said, is it we take the cake? And he said, how did you know? I'm like, I don't know how I knew, but it was. And I knew I already liked the product. And I thought, there must be other moms like me who want a great tasting cake, but they want it to work. They want it to work with the theme of their birthday, you know, and dress it up. Because for a gourmet cake, I mean, it wasn't inexpensive, but it wasn't presented as a, a premium product. So I thought I could really do something with it. And that's why I chose We Take the Cake. Yeah, you saw a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, it, it, again, it wasn't a hugely expensive uh, deal. I mean, all deals, you know, are expensive. Uh, and of course, the expense came after you bought it as you went to grow it. But, you know, you had some unique ideas. Why don't you talk about that, about once you got hold of the company, how you wound up, you know, growing it? Sure. And, you know, Thank, God, thank goodness I was naive. I really, I had no idea what I was going to invest in the company because otherwise I probably would have been scared. So there's something to just diving in and doing it. But, um, you know, I really believed in the product. So I think that was the most important thing. And then I thought, well, let's dress up the packaging. You know, let's make it look like the product that it is inside and you know, let's um, make the store more appealing where um, I actually got some advice from another local entrepreneur who said people should feel a little bit intimidated when they come in. You know, like they they know what it's going to cost just by walking in the door. Wow. So that's yeah, great advice. It was great advice because, you know, what? If, if it looks when we bought the business, it kind of looked like a yard sale inside. And there was only um, one employee. So it was super tiny, you know, so I thought, let's just dress it up so that when people get this cake or when you go to someone's house with this cake, with the packaging, people know it's special just by the packaging when they, when they walk in. So we immediately had to start investing in the packaging and this, in the way the store looked and we were really bootstrapping it. I mean, truly we, we didn't have money to invest. So we kind of did it organically. As we went along, we put the money where we needed to put the money. But um, fortunately, as an added bonus, when I got the business, I, I started going through the QuickBooks um, and looking at who buys cakes from us in the past, because that was their whole system was QuickBooks. There was no point of sale. There was no anything. It was just QuickBooks. And I saw that Harpo Studios was in there. And I thought, that's super interesting. And one day, the woman from Harpo Studios called. And um, I obviously, I took the call because it was me and a baker working <laughs> at the store. And um, I asked her how she knew about the key lime bundt cake that she was ordering. And she said she was on an airplane. And um, she was sitting next to another couple. And they asked for tickets to Oprah's show. And she gave them tickets. And then they ordered one of the key lime bun cakes and sent it to her as a thank you gift. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> she fell in love with it and she started ordering um, ever since. But what I found most interesting was that she loved the cake, 
but it never occurred to her to suggest this cake as one of Oprah's favorite things internally. Like it just never dawned on her. Right. So I asked her, I'm like, hey, is there anything you can do for us? And she said, hey, one of my friends is on the team that's part of selecting Oprah's favorite things. Why don't you send her a cake? And I did. And she she called me up and she was freaking out. She said, oh, my God, everyone there is just dying over this cake. I'm sure you're going to get a call. And nothing happened, actually, for months. And then I got a call saying that we were being considered as one of Oprah's favorite things. And now, don't forget, I bought the business. I bought the business in 2002 in September. So this is 2004, I'd say mid-2004. So a year and a half in, give or take. And um, and we were really struggling at this time because I had no experience with baking. I had no experience in the food industry. I I come from a real estate background. So um, we get this call and they said, you know, you're going to go through a series of tastings. Oprah is going to do rounds of elimination and she's presented with a hundred products and then it gets, you know, reduced down to whatever her selection is. So we went through this and they kept us up to date. We get calls, you're still in, you're still in. And then we got the call that we made it. And honestly, that was life-changing. It was life-changing for the business. It was life-changing for us. So by 2004, November, when Oprah was at her peak with her television show and everything, we were one of 21 items that were selected. And we were the only food item and we were the least expensive Wow. That's great. Yeah. So that really, that really put us on the map at that time. Do you want me to go into how we uh, ended up with the other, the other company that you were representing? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So it's actually quite funny because considering we were considering between the cookie company and the cake company in the, in the early days, after we were on Oprah, then we were on the Food Network and, you know, we were on all sorts of things. And um, we were only in an 1,100 square foot space for everything, running the business, production, you know, you name it. So we needed more space. We ended up renting some space from a, a bread company and they made their bread at night and they let us come in and bake during the day. And we were moving our cakes back and forth to the retail store and the, and the bread company. And um, we realized when we came in in the morning to bake that the bread people were using all our ingredients. So we come in in the morning and everything's gone, including the rum, by the way. They were drinking our rum at night. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the ingredients were gone. So I started um, deducting everything that they were using from my rent. So they didn't like that at all. And when I handed them the rent check with all the deductions on it, they handed me a letter and told me I had 30 days to get out. And um, so 30 days, as anyone who's looking to, who runs a business, who's looking to own a business or expand a business knows, you can't be set up in 30 days. You can't have equipment and plumbing and you just, it's just not possible. So we ended up buying that cookie company from the second owner. Someone else had bought it 
and now he needed to sell it. And it had become an asset sale at this time. But he had a kitchen that was up and running and he had all the equipment. Now, granted, it was a 40-minute drive. From yeah, it was a little bit of ways away. I remember that. <laughs> you know, you do what you have to do, right? You just do it. And when I say do what we have to do, we bought the assets of the company. We bought um, an, a used minivan from my neighbor, took the seats out, and we every day we filled that cake with, uh, sorry, we filled the van with cake up to the roof, you know, where they were wrapped in plastic, and we just filled it, and we drove 40 minutes each way shuttling the cakes to our um, retail location. Wow. And we did it for three years. So that cookie company had 2,000 square feet that we really needed, and it was ready to go. So although it wasn't ideal, we made that work just to bridge the gap until we were able to move to a larger facility. Wow. And then then obviously, you kind of used both those sales to kind of springboard into the, you know, the larger facility you have now and all that great marketing, great story. Yes, yes. We actually, we, we ended up uh, purchasing a building not far from our original location, the 1100 square foot one. We, we moved out of the uh, cookie company, but of course took everything we bought with us. Um, And then we continued to run the original location for a while until we just consolidated and moved everything into the building. So, I mean, yeah, it was like, it was small steps we, as I said, we were bootstrapping, so we had to do things the most awkward way. That's yeah, no, did. but it's a, it's a great entrepreneurial story. First of all, uh, you did a great job. Yeah, you know, like and, you know, every entrepreneur story, you know, there's always like the big break or the big aha moment, or so you had one of those, which is great. And then you know the the you know the story of buying asset sales, two asset sales, uh, to fit into your eventual business, even though you didn't know what it was going to be when you bought it. Uh, and, and you've done a great job of marketing. And if anybody wants more information or buy an amazing birthday cake, you got to go to wetakethecake.com. You ship all over the place, correct? We do. Yes. And thank you for that plug. And 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 on top of all this, you did buy the business and eventually use it to get immigration status. Yes, we did. And, you know, that's, that's a different story in itself because it's another one of those, wow, I can't believe that really happened. Because, you know, really, um, you're, you should be buying a business to get your green card. So you should be buying a business, I mean, if you need it, you'd be buying it under an E2 visa normally, where as long as you own the business, you're allowed to work in the business. Or it would be an investment in a, you know, an EB-5 type right. of visa. But what happened with ours is um, we actually got away mm. with having buying the business and then having the business sponsor us. And normally it doesn't work like that, but we completely yeah, left it. No, we got um, first, uh, you're going to love this story, but I'm going to be very brief about it. But when we came here, my husband was on an H-1B. And at that time, we were trying to get our green card from there. Unfortunately, our immigration lawyer bounced the check through the trust account, and we got put to the back of the line. So in the meantime, I actually got an O visa, 
we tried green card through that way. Nothing was working. And then just in the mail one day, we found out that we're getting our green card from that H1B where he bounced the um, check years ago. And we went to the back of the line. It moved forward. And um, for some reason, they accepted We Take the Cake sponsoring the owners. It's a great yeah. It's a great story. <laughs> Again, yeah, I, rem- I remember when you were going through that, you, you were being very persistent and using any of your, yeah, you know, you're, you're very good at that. You use your connections, you've used any leverageable assets that you wound up buying. Obviously you went through the QuickBooks. It's a great story. And, and I, I know you, you work with other business owners and you do some speaking. And so uh, it's just a great story. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, I got to tell you, Oprah's been really good to us ever since then because we were um, on CNBC's The Oprah Effect, and we had to film that between the uh, Coral Springs location and the um, Fort Lauderdale location, like using both of them because we didn't have enough space, so we were splitting production here and there. And um, then we were on Oprah's Where Where Are They Now? We've been on the O list, and... And we're super excited that we're going to be one of her favorite things again. <clears throat> Comes full circle after 14 years. Well, I I'm I know I'm going to have to call you back at some point because I know that there's more story. And, uh, and w- maybe we'll do a podcast on how to expand your business or how to sell to national change, with, change which is a whole story I know you're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but we'll get you back. Uh, but I, w- I really want to thank you for coming in today, Laura. You, you, you've been great. Thank you for having me and thank you for all your help through the years. Much, much appreciated. Hey, Andy, you know what time I think it is? I think it's time to talk about our deal of the week. Deal of the week. And we're here with Tom Milana to talk about the deal of the week. And this one is an interesting one. And it's kind of a tale of a harsh story, uh, kind of like when you should take a deal when you get one or a good one. So, Tom, why don't you tell us about this uh, restaurant you just sold? Yeah, Andy, thank you very much. Uh, Typical situation where usually your first offer is your best offer. This was an Italian restaurant, about 3,500 square feet in a well-known shopping plaza that um, was doing about a million dollars a year in business. About 18 months ago, uh, when the seller hired us to sell the business, we bought him an offer for $320,000, and he decided it wasn't enough money. So he continued to stick with the business. He was paying about $12,000 a month in rent, and we ended up selling the business uh, this week for $90,000. So he definitely should have taken the three twenty dollars and run with it. Well, that's certainly a lesson to be learned, and uh, but a good deal for the buyer. So, deal of the week. Thank you, Tom. Welcome back, and we are very happy to have Erin Bean on the program, and she is from West Palm. And we are talking today about asset sales and deals that you know don't necessarily make money, but are valuable, and we do eventually sell. And Aaron has a great example of a tequila company we work with. So you want to give us a little bit of background on that tequila company and how the deal eventually came together? Be happy to. So uh, this was a, about two years ago, we had a um, tequila company, very nice tequila. Can't say that I tried it myself, but um, the, the ratings and... Um, 
the basically the um, customer perception was very good. They had five partners, which too many cooks in the kitchen uh, don't really lead to a very profitable and successful business. And one of the leading partners had a, um, a husband who was uh, sick with cancer. So she was really not able to participate in the business. And they had obviously tried to reach out on their own to try to sell it within the industry um, and through their contacts. So about a year or so had gone by and the sales had really started to dwindle when I finally got the listing. Um so basically, we went through probably um, over 65 interested parties before um, we really talked to some good, solid buyers or possible buyers. And it was really hard to have someone wrap their head around the numbers. Um, everybody wanted to own a tequila company because it sounds really fun. But when they look at the numbers, they really couldn't see past that. She only had about 15000 in sales the year before. So um, we really pitched it and tried to um, make sure that we overcame that hurdle before we started setting up meetings. And it's really good when you're when you're talking about an asset sale to really give somebody the clear picture. You know, a pro forma is a pro forma. You can talk and you can tell them how they'll get to that. Um, but what we ultimately did is found a buyer that had already been in the industry in another country. And so they were picking up this brand that had um, significant uh, presence in the U.S. at one point. And they also had some um, nice contracts with, um, certain vendors that it was hard to get on that list. So we ended up finding a buyer for that and it sold for about 75000 with $15,000 in sales the year before and only about $5,000 worth of inventory. Uh, the key to that business too was there's some um, import licenses that are very hard for people to get. So you really have to ask the questions to figure out um, what the value is. And for that um, particular buyer, they were able to get into the U.S. market a lot quicker by buying a label and a brand versus um, starting from scratch. That's a great example. That's a great example of an asset sale, uh, the power of the trans world network, being able to reach internationally and find the right buyer, you know, at a price that was, you know, eventually acceptable to five different partners. Wow. So that's, uh, you know, that's what we're good at. We're finding the right buyer and uh, going out and finding that needle in the haystack. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Hey, we're back with Listing of the Week. And today we have Rich Heaton on the line. And Rich, why don't you introduce yourself real quick? Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Rich Heaton. I'm with Trans World Business Advisors in Charleston, South Carolina, and happy to be here to share what I believe is a listing that really checks all the boxes for the buyers out there. Yeah, sounds like a good one. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, I'll tell you, Andy, the thing I really love about this listing is, and my ad says it checks all the boxes, and it really does. We always have buyers call in that they want certain boxes checked, but it doesn't seem like you get a listing that is invariably it doesn't check all the boxes. And this one really does check a lot of them. It's um it's in a vibrant growing city of Raleigh, North Carolina, um, big growth area. Business has been in business for 27 years. Um, the thing I love about the business, it, it is a B2B where it's in the signs and graphics industry, but all their customers are other businesses and they're very well known in the market. But what's made this such a great listing besides checking all the boxes is the owners have done an absolutely terrific job of making what sometimes can be a complicated industry or process 
very easy. They've simplified the business model where if someone who wants to be a first-time entrepreneur wants to get in on a really good business, it's not so overcomplicated that they won't be able to get in and hit the ground running. So that's what I really love about it. But it's SBA 7A qualified with three different lenders. Um, we the, the certification came very easy on it. The SD owner benefit, which is EBITDA plus officer comp and officer insurance, is $356,000. If you do it with all addbacks, the three-year average is $369,978. Strong name recognition in the market, Um, high profit margins, great financials and tax returns that match very easily that will make due diligence fairly easy for someone coming in. And the thing I really like about it is you always hear from your buyers, is there growth opportunity? Is it scalable? While it's been successful historically, the great part is it's been managed very conservatively by the current owners because it fit their comfort. And there is a huge amount of growth and scalable opportunity in the in the listing. Right. And, and how much are they asking? The list price is 965000 That's a great question. I'm going I'm glad you asked that. And that's probably the most important, right? Um, the list price is nine sixty-five. We at the beginning of the listing, we had an independent third-party valuation done, and it came in at a million two ten. So it is priced very attractively. The sellers are ready to retire, and they're just they're ready to move on with their life. They, it's rare that you get a seller that if you get a third-party valuation. They don't want to price it even higher than that and room for negotiating. But um, it's priced to, to sell, and it is a great opportunity. Right, and they could get in with about 10% down, right? Yes, temper, it is. All the SBA prequals that we have is a 10% cash injection. So depending on what their working capital requirements are, they're going to get in as low as 96.5, um, which is um, – Cash flow is still tremendous on um, debt service at that point. Wow. And it's a beautiful part of the country, even if you wanted to move there. So it's a, it's it sounds like a, what we call a throw pro. Maybe we'll have to put it out there as that as well. Yeah, I will tell you, the, the uh, we have had an unbelievable amount of responses from people outside of the Raleigh area. We've had a lot of out-of-state buyers looking at it. You, I was told early on in this business that if you have a listing that is that is easy to prove that they've been making that kind of money historically, that people will up and relocate for it. And I think this listing has proven it. Wow, that's great. Well, thanks for coming on today, Rich. It's a great listing and uh, hopefully people will move quickly to get it. Thanks so much, Andy. So welcome back. And today we have Linnea Westlake back on the show from our San Diego office. And Linnea is here to tell us about a business that wasn't making a lot of money, but was still able to sell. So Linnea, say hi to the listeners and tell us a little bit about this company you had listed for sale. Greetings. And uh, thank you for having me back, Jessica. Um, I guess I wanted to share this story because I wanted to give some confidence to both sellers and buyers. related to the opportunities around businesses that are not highly profitable, but still represent value. In this case, um, it was a gelato shop uh, located in a nice area. It was about three years in. Uh, The sellers had to to sell. 
Uh, they, you know, they intended to have a much longer view, but there were some family health issues and they had to sell. So they really never got it to the point where they felt, you know, where it was very profitable. Um, not including employees, it cleared $16,000 a year. So in essence, it was losing money. Um, though it was family run and op- owned and operated. So, you know, I think the kids were making some money on tips and that kind of thing. And it looks like a fairly desperate situation, but I took it on because uh, the build out was darling and, f- you know, looked fresh and new and was in a, in a busy plaza near a school. Um, and I felt badly, candidly for the sellers. I knew that they needed to get out of the lease and they needed a new opportunity and they put a lot of money into the TI and I was hoping to, to help them out a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, sounds like a great location, you know, a a cute shop in really good shape with good leasehold improvements and furnitures, fixtures, and equipment. So, you know, how you you got this deal closed. How did you find a buyer for this one? Well, the buyer came the sort of traditional way um, through our advertising. Um, But this particular buyer is a single mother um, relocating from Switzerland and uh, has a you know, teenage son and candidly was needing an investor visa on um, make that her primary criteria, but that was certainly some motivation behind it. And the fact that this shop was in the neighborhood and something that she felt that they could manage and she really thought it was cute and, um, you know, well done. Um, it turned out to be a good deal for her. And uh, it's running now just as it had been running. Um, she's now putting some employees in, in place. And, um, you know, we don't, I don't know exactly what the outcome is yet, but it is, you know, attracting clients and well run and um, it satisfied the immediate goal. So what did it end up selling for if it was, you know, kind of making about 16000 What What did it sell for? What was the final sale price? Um, well, it was making 16000 not including playing employees. So really- right. Less than that, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, uh, ultimately, it was it sold for forty four thousand dollars. Yeah, which is, I mean, is a great deal for the seller. But it, if you think about it for the buyer too, I mean, to you know find a location for a new business, do all the build out. I mean, to save all that time, just I mean, it's it's kind of worth it just to purchase something like that that's already done. Well, and the build out was you know probably cost the sellers one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. It was a good deal for the buyers too. Exactly, and so that's kind of what I wanted to share is that. You know, if you're a buyer, if you can find a pre-existing location, even if the business is not killing it or even doing very well at all, it still puts you way ahead of what it would be to go through the process of finding space, doing the build out, getting everything ready, even building the clientele to get to the point where you're almost at break even. So in both cases, I think, you know, I think they did pretty well. Yeah, it's a great win-win situation. Thanks so much for sharing with us. I think it's a great example of, you know, how some of these businesses that are barely making money or even losing money can still be good acquisition deals for buyers. So thank you for sharing again, Linnea, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Life's soundtrack can feel a bit like 
but you can still change the station. With Delta Airlines, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing.